Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to you all. It's uh, lovely to see you uh, here this morning, and a very warm welcome uh, if you're watching online. It's great that you've been able uh, to join us. Um, in today's service, Neil will be continuing to help us journey through the book of Micah uh, as we uh, look forwards uh, and backwards to uh, the Lord Jesus' uh, return. Uh, before we start our service this morning, let's just uh, take a moment uh, just to still our own hearts, uh, just being mindful that uh, we come before the Lord uh, and we offer this time to him uh, as an act of worship. So let's uh, just take a moment uh, to quiet our own hearts. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, uh, we do thank you for uh, this morning. Uh, Father, I know that... Uh, uh, for many of us, there are uh, many things going on in our lives, uh, great blessings and great trials. Uh, please, would you help us um, put those things down? Please, would you help us uh, lift our eyes uh, up to you? And please, would you uh, place in our hearts an expectant desire uh, to meet with you this morning? Uh, by your spirit, please, would you minister to our hearts? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are in the season of Advent. Uh, Advent is a time where uh, we look back to when Jesus uh, first came, but it's also a season for us to look forward to the return of the King uh, when the Lord Jesus uh, comes again uh, to gather together his people and bring us to himself. Uh, and so to do that, we're going to invite... Uh, uh, Michael and Naomi to come up uh, to light our Advent candle and to share with us an Advent reading. Prepare the way of the Lord. We light this candle as a sign of light, the coming light of Jesus, our Saviour. Prepare then the way of the Lord. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Uh, some words from uh, 1 John uh, 1, uh, which is a, a great reminder of uh, the amazing truth uh, of the incarnation. And John writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with us, the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's just the most incredible thing, isn't it? that the second person of the Trinity would deign to come and clothe himself in humanity, to dwell amongst his people, to live the life that we should have lived, and then on that cross, to die the death that we deserve so that we might be brought into eternal fellowship with him and the resurrection from the dead, showing us that we have been made right if we will trust in him. What an absolutely glorious thing that happens because of the incarnation. 
Uh, we come now to uh, our time of, uh, of prayer, so let's, uh, let's pray. We're going to have uh, some further time of prayer later in the service, uh, but we're going to pray now as well. So in the name of the Son and in the power of the Spirit, let's come before our Father in heaven. Father God, we bring before you those in the world who are suffering incalculable pain because of humanity waging war against humanity. And we pray for the innocents in the conflict in the Middle East and in Ukraine. We pray that those seeking to get aid and humanitarian assistance into those who are suffering, uh, please would you clear a way that that aid uh, might receive, be received by those who need it. Uh, please would you place in the hearts of those who lead warring nations, place in their hearts a desire to sue for peace and to work towards reconciliation. Uh, Father, we know that that is a power that can only come from you. So we ask you, would you please be powerfully at work? And near at home, Father, we pray for uh, those who work in the health service. Uh, we thank you for their hearts of compassion and their ministry of healing broken bodies. Uh, please would you give them strength each day to meet the challenges of a cash-strapped and under-resourced health service. Please would you continue to fill the hearts of the doctors, the nurses, the ancillary staff, and all the others that work in the health service. Fill them, please, uh, with your love and compassion. Might they have a superabundance of your grace and love that they might not tire of caring well for the people in their charge. Oh, Father God, we thank you for all the good things that you have given us. Uh, we thank you for the generosity of this church family in their giving this year. We acknowledge that all things we have come from you, and it is from those things that you have given us that we give back to you. Please, would you keep a spirit of generosity in all areas of our lives? Oh, Father God, we pray for those in our midst who are going through a season of trial. We pray for those who are sick and in need of medical intervention. Please would you give the doctors who care for them your wisdom that they might deliver the best medicines and program of care for their healing. We pray for those who are awaiting test results or exploratory work to diagnose an illness. Please would you give them the strength that they need to cast their anxieties and troubles upon you. And we pray also for those who may have received a diagnosis of an illness that's been much worse than was expected. Please would you draw them deep into your love that they might have the comfort and assurance of your presence with them in this time of uncertainty. Please would they know your healing and loving presence with them. And in a moment of silence, please, uh, each one of us lift up before God those who are known to us, uh, who need to know God's hand of comfort upon their lives. Uh, we pray now for uh, Martha as she uh, brings us our reading. Uh, please would you help her read clearly and help us to listen well and for your word to penetrate our hearts. Help Neil as he comes to speak to use the words you have given him. And would you please be at work in our hearts that we might hear you as you speak to us. And let's close our prayer time together by using the words of the Lord's Prayer. Let me say together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Today's reading is taken from Micah, chapter 6. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Morning, everybody. Thank you, Martha, for reading for us. Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we do pray that you would speak to us now through your word, and you would enable us to listen by the power of your spirit, You'd help us to understand all that you have done for us through Jesus, and you'd cause us to respond to him in lives of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the big news items this week was the latest events in the uh, the COVID inquiry, set up to examine the UK's response to the, the pandemic and to seek to learn lessons from Uh, everything that went on. Uh, This week, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, was called by the inquiry panel to to give evidence about the way decisions were made by the government. Not sure it was a particularly pleasant experience for him to be grilled in that way, but he did accept responsibility and apologised for various mistakes that were made. But hard as it may be to appear before an inquiry panel there'll be nothing compared to appearing before God and having charges laid against us. Our passage this morning, God brings a case against the people of Israel for breaking the covenant, the special relationship that he has with them, in which he has promised to be their God, to dwell among them, to bless them, and they have promised to worship him alone as their God. And in this chapter of Micah, it's like we're in an open-air courtroom. And God says to his people, plead your case. 
not sure why it says plead my case. Um, all the other translations have plead your case. But uh, plead your case before the witnesses who consist of the oldest inhabitants of the earth, the mountains and the hills, described here as the everlasting foundations of the earth. Let them hear what you have to say. And in verse 2, the mountains are called to hear the Lord's accusations against his people. But the surprising thing is we don't actually then hear those accusations. Maybe because we've heard them all already in previous chapters. We've heard of the injustice, the idolatry, the rejection of the truth that the people are guilty of and the punishment they deserve. But instead of accusing them here, what we see is God appealing to them. And it's a real personal and heartfelt questioning and pleading. What we see here is God's heart broken by the unfaithfulness of his people. It reminds us a bit of the book of Hosea that we looked at last year, if you were with us then. Some people picture God as a cold, harsh judge. But what we see here is fatherly warmth and compassion. He asks them very simply in verse 3, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Or how have I wearied you? Answer me. And you can feel the pain in his voice. He's saying, what have I done to cause you to be unfaithful to me? I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like that. A relationship has broken down. Maybe a marriage, a family relationship, maybe a work relationship, a friendship. And you feel betrayed and you just want to know why. What have I done to you to deserve this? And when we find ourselves in that situation, this passage may help us to understand how God feels when we are unfaithful to him. And hopefully it will help us in our relationship with God in two ways, by remembering what God has done for us and by responding in joyful and sacrificial obedience to him. So we're going to split the sermon into two parts this morning under the headings Remember and Respond. And we'll have a break in between them to pray and to sing. Uh, But let's start with this first part, which is to Remember what God has done for you. God reminds his people of the things he's done for them, and he says, remember them. Remember them. Memory's a funny thing, isn't it? <clears throat> we each have different capacities for, for memory. Some have better short-term memory than long-term. Others can remember what they did 50 years ago, but struggle to remember what they did with the keys 50 seconds ago. Some can remember faces, and not names. Some can remember names and not faces. On your way out of the door, you may find me asking you, your face looks familiar, but I'm afraid I can't quite remember your name. And that's probably me talking to my wife as well. But, um, <laughs> sometimes we have a selective memory. The most repeated answer that Boris Johnson gave at the, the, the COVID inquiry panel this week was, I don't, I don't remember. Memory is important. And the most important thing that we should remember is God's grace, his undeserved loving kindness. The reason we read and study the Bible is to to learn about his grace. The reason we keep reading is to remind ourselves of that grace, because without remembering God's grace, we will struggle to lead a godly life. Any religious leader can stand up here and tell you to act justly, 
to love mercy, to be humble, which are the three responses we'll come on to later. But without God's grace, it simply becomes a moral teaching about how to be good, which is fine. But the problem is none of us can be good enough to meet God's perfect standards. So what are the acts of grace that God wants his people to remember? Well, there's four particular things he mentions, and the first of those in verse 4 is that I rescued you. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I set you free, he's saying. The people of, God, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God for, for help, and he answered them. He brought ten plagues on Egypt, persuading Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. The last of those was the, the death of the firstborn in the whole country. But God passed over the houses where the Israelites had slaughtered a lamb and smeared the blood over the door frame. That's why the Passover meal is celebrated every, every year. And after that rescue, God made a, a covenant with, with his people in which he promised to be their God and they promised to be his people. I rescued you, he says. Secondly, I sent you leaders. Second half of verse four says, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. Moses was the leader who, who took them out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. He was the one who received the Ten Commandments from God, the one who pleaded with God to have mercy on his people after they ended up worshiping a golden calf. Aaron was uh, Moses' spokesman and anointed as high priest. Miriam was their sister, a prophetess, who led the women in worship after the exodus, we're told. Thirdly, I protected you. Verse 5 says, My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. This refers to an incident where Balak asked Balaam to put a curse on Israel so that he could defeat them in battle. But in a strange story that you can read about in Numbers 22, um, God spoke to him. He, it was even a donkey that spoke in that strange story. And he turned Balaam's curse into a blessing for his people. I protected you. And fourthly, I helped you on your journey. Second half of verse 5 says, Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Shittim was a town on the, uh, the Jordan where the Israelites stayed before they crossed the flooded river into the promised land. And Gilgal was the, the town on the other side where they reached land safe and dry. After, God had miraculously stopped the flow of the river Jordan. It marked the end of 40 years of journeying through the wilderness, during which time God provided for all of their needs. These, he says, are the righteous acts of the Lord that they were to remember. Well, as we've seen in the last few weeks, this book of Micah prophesies the coming of Jesus. And these acts of great God's grace here that we read about point to the far greater acts that Jesus achieved for us that we need to remember. First of all, he rescued us. He rescued us from slavery to sin. And from the punishment we deserve for our sin. Jesus did that by being the Passover lamb himself. He allowed himself to die in our places. 
Secondly, I sent you leaders. He sent us the one perfect leader, the eternal king, Jesus Christ himself, that we looked at last week. Protection. He continues to protect us from spiritual attack through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And fourthly, he helps us on our journey. We are on a journey to our eternal home where he's already gone before us to prepare a place for us. And the question that God is asking the people of Israel is, do all these things mean anything to you? God asks his people, how have I wearied you? And we need to ask ourselves the same question. Have we become weary of these basic truths, of all that God has done for us through Jesus? If we've been a Christian for many years, do, do we take it for granted? Maybe we started out with great enthusiasm, uh, great excitement in our relationship with God. We loved coming to church to, to, to thank him and praise him for all that he's done for us. But now, maybe it's become a little bit like uh, opening Christmas presents when you've already got everything. That initial excitement has gone. Dale R- Ralph Davis writes this. He says, when we... Too often jaded Christians gather before the communion table. Does Jesus have to come and say, is this boring? Have I failed to interest you? Have I not stretched your mind, excited your wonder, met your real needs? Was the cross not dramatic enough for you? Does the empty tomb make you yawn? If we have become weary What will bring us closer to God? What will help us grow deeper in our relationship with him? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The key to having hearts of worship and thankfulness is the work of the Spirit. We need to ask him to keep on filling us, to remind us of all Jesus has done for us, and to fill us with awe and wonder. And it's not just the big salvation things Jesus has done for us, but the the everyday acts of grace that we need to get into the habit of thanking God for. It was good at the last members meeting to, to share encouragements from the year that's gone. We so easily forget God's grace and just focus on the things that we're not happy about. Likewise, it's good to hear from Roger and Joy earlier on about their encouragements from the Friday Cafe. Let's make it a habit to to share our personal encouragements and thank God for them. So we're going to do that now, just as we end this first part of um, uh, the sermon. I'm going to thank God, and then I'll just leave some space for you to maybe thank God in your own hearts for things that he's been doing in your lives. Um, And if you're feeling a bit dry, ask for the Spirit to fill you with that thankfulness. And then we're going to sing a a song praising God for his amazing grace. Let's come and thank God now. Father God, we have so much to to thank you for. And we confess that so often we are ungrateful. We forget what you've taught us through your word. We forget the impact that it's had on us. So Lord, we want to thank you now for 
the salvation that we have received through Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to give up his life for our sakes, to die on the cross so that we can be made right with you. Thank you that he now reigns on high. He intercedes for us with you. Thank you that he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit to protect us, to to guide us, to lead us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. Lord, fill us now with your Holy Spirit that we would be those who are grateful, those who are excited in their faith. And thank you, Lord, for that journey we're on. Thank you that Jesus has already gone before us to prepare a place for us. Lord, help us to keep focused on him on that journey and to know that he is with us on that journey. We thank you for your presence with us. So, Lord, hear our prayers and our thankfulness as we bring them to you. We've been looking so far at the need to remember what God has done for us. The depth of our gratitude towards him will impact the way we live our lives. And what God wants is for us to respond in joyful and sacrificial obedience. Before we come on to verse 8, which will be familiar to to many of you, I'm sure. Let's have a look at verses 6 to 7, though. Because the speaker here asks the question in verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? He then makes some suggestions. He says, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves, a year old? All right, well, what about, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Or even the ultimate sacrifice. Shall I offer my firstborn? For my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. Shall I make the sacrifice of my child for the Lord? Something that Abraham was prepared to do, but the Lord stayed his hand. Of course, none of these is sufficient because it's not the sacrifice itself that God is interested in. God already loves us far more than we can ever imagine. And there's nothing we can do that will make him love us more than he already does. So how should we respond to what God has done for us then? Verse 8 says, He's shown you, O mortal, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Before we go any further, we have to be careful with this phrase, what does the Lord require of you? Um, What it's not saying here is that these are things you need to do in order to be saved, in order to be right with God. We'll never be able to do them well enough. And we don't have to, because it's by God's grace that we are saved. So this assumes um, that the people already belong to him, and this is about living a life that is pleasing to him. What does such a life look like? Well, Mike was saying to the people, There's nothing mysterious here about what God wants from you. He's already told you in his word what is good in his sight. It's not the physical gifts or sacrifices he's interested in. It's the attitude of your heart. As shown in the willingness to sacrifice our whole lives to him. 
He wants us to give up living our lives our way, putting ourselves first, and to live life his way. In short, he wants us to respond to all the things he's done for us by living a life of joyful and sacrificial obedience. As Samuel said to Saul when he uh, thought he'd done enough to please the Lord, uh, Samuel said to him, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So what does this obedience look like? Well, there are three aspects of that to which um, he makes specific reference, and the first of those is to act justly. Or put otherwise, uh, to do justice. Why is this so important to God? Well, because God is a God of justice. Psalm 33 says the Lord loves righteousness and justice. God has made us in his image with a natural sense of justice, which we we feel acutely when uh, we ourselves are the victims of injustice, or we see or hear of other people being treated unfairly or unjustly. And to do justice means to defend the rights of those who are unable to defend themselves. So in Isaiah 1, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. How does that apply to us today? What applies within the church as well as outside the church Within the church, we need to ensure we're looking after the the vulnerable. What does that look like? Well, it means, for example, having a a safeguarding policy, having regular training for those working with children and vulnerable adults. It means encouraging and uh, praying for those who are involved in fostering or adoption. It means caring for all those who are widowed and for all single people. Ensuring they get invites to lunch, they're included in church events, they're given help with practical issues. And on that, when it comes to inviting people around, um, how often do we invite our friends? How often do we invite those we don't know or have little in common with? How often do we invite the widows? Acting justly may take place by individuals or by home groups, but as a church grows, uh, how We need to have systems in place to ensure that uh, no one is overlooked. That's the model of Acts 6, where certain people in the church were given responsibility to look after the distribution of food to widows. Our equivalent is the the practical care team, which uh, Lawrence Keel heads up, and to which a lot of people have offered their services. And if you're able to offer yours and think of the ways in which you can help, then please do contact him. As a church, we have a a benevolent fund which aims to help those struggling financially. But although there's a lot of good stuff already going on in the church, we need to constantly just to be aware of those who are vulnerable and to look out for those who are in need. And if you are aware of somebody who you feel is being overlooked, then do please come and speak to us as pastors or elders. In terms of justice in the world, we are told in the Old Testament that God watches over the foreigner. We're told in the New Testament by Jesus to to love our neighbor, which is everyone we see in need. So we're called as individuals, we're called as a church to do justice in the world. We need to ask God to help us see the needs of those around us, whether they're those struggling with addiction, maybe those who are elderly, maybe those from a different country, maybe just struggling with loneliness on their own. 
We need to pray that God would give us what we need to help them in their situation. At justly, the second command is to love mercy. The word translated mercy here is the word that describes God's steadfast love or his loyalty. And what it implies is showing love even when it's not deserved. It implies a great generosity of love which goes beyond what is expected of us. Showing love when we find it really difficult to do so. One of the situations in which we might experience that is when people say things about us that are unjust or unfair. But Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not only did he say that, he put it into practice, didn't he? he? He suffered the greatest injustice, and yet, as he hung on the cross, as he had insults hurled against him, he said to his father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Our natural reaction when we are wronged is to, to seek revenge rather than, than to love even more. And in some ways, it's an outrageous expectation. But the only way we can be motivated to do that is by remembering God's mercy to us. Have a look over the page to the end of Micah, chapter 7, verse 18. We'll be coming on to next week. It says there in verse 18, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Unlike us who find it difficult to forgive, find it difficult to show mercy, God delights in showing mercy and having compassion. He delights to deal with our sins. So if acting justly and loving mercy are to do with our relationships with others, the third one is to do with our relationship with God, to walk humbly with your God. And it's out of this one that the other two flow naturally. We can't do justice, we can't love mercy if we're not walking humbly with our God. So what does that mean? Well, the, the Bible often depicts our um, relationship with God as a walk. Uh, to walk with God is to walk in his presence, on the same path, in the same direction that he is going. It conveys this comfortable relationship of sharing lives with one another. Some of you may remember that from COVID days when you went on walks with people because you couldn't meet up inside. So why is it important to walk humbly with our God? What does that mean exactly? Well, it means to walk in dependence on him. He's the one who directs our paths, who encourages us to keep going when we're getting tired. He provides us with food along the way. Who helps us get back on the right path when we stray off. If we take the lead and head off in the direction we think we should go without consulting with him, we will end up in a mess. So walking humbly with our God is not putting our trust in ourselves as if we don't need God. It's looking back. We look back to the previous page, chapter 5, verse 10. Because these are sometimes the things we do put our trust in. God is saying he will destroy those things. In verse 10, he says, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. In other words, what he's saying is don't trust in all your own resources. Your buildings, your cars, your finances, all of that can disappear. 
and will do when we die. Trust instead in God's provision, God's protection. For many years as a church, we've been in a strong financial situation. And the danger of that is that we assume the money will always be there. And we give up praying for God to provide. We give up thanking God for his provision. It looks like this year we will uh, end up with a, a large financial deficit. But maybe that is God saying to us, look, walk humbly with me, depend on me. God says, I will lead you and guide you and provide for all your needs. All we need to do in response is to live a life of sacrificial obedience. And when we do, we'll be filled with a tremendous sense of the peace and the joy of the Lord. Let's uh, pray. What does the Lord require of us? To act justly. Father God, we're sorry where we have not acted justly. Or we've not looked out for those who are in need. Where we've not cared for the, the vulnerable. Where we've been so caught up in the busyness of our lives that we haven't had time for others. Lord, help us to be aware of those in need and show us how and equip us to, to care for them, to do justice. To love mercy. Father, we're sorry where we, we haven't been merciful to others. Where we've rather languished in our own sense of feeling uh, offended. We're sorry where we haven't shown the same forgiveness that Christ showed towards those who treated him so unjustly. Father, we thank you that you are God who pardons sin, who delights to show mercy. May we be a people who delight to show mercy. To walk humbly with our God. Father, we, we are sorry where we have trusted in our own strength, our own resources, where we've ignored you, where we haven't spent time asking for your help as if we didn't need it. Forgive us, we pray. And Lord, may we as individuals, may we as a church, go forward walking humbly with you, depending on you in every way, following your leading, your guidance. Because we know that you care for us and you know what is best for us. So go before us, we pray, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, that does uh, bring us uh, to the end of our service this morning. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that as you journey through the service uh, today, that uh, the Lord has met with you, uh, that he's spoken to you, that he's encouraged uh, your heart. Uh, please do... Uh, Take the opportunity to pray with those around you uh, before you go. Uh, don't leave uh, until you have prayed uh, with someone about what, uh, what God has been saying to you uh, this morning. Uh, the teas and coffees uh, through the way. Please do stay and enjoy a bit of time uh, chatting with, uh, with one another. 
uh, encouraging one another with the things that you've heard this morning. Um, It'd be great to do that. Some words from 1 Timothy uh, to close. Paul writes this. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen.